Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is writing a sermon. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes or pick up those knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. My name is Pastor Amanda Zensalo, and I serve at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so we've covered in past podcasts that we follow a lectionary schedule. But my question to you is, do you have to preach on that week after week? You don't. Hmm. It's an option. So I think part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this on the podcast is that I've had a lot of people ask me questions about how do you write a sermon? Mm -hmm. How do you do this on a weekly basis and those kinds of things? And one of those questions really is, is how do you choose your scriptures that you do? So for folks who haven't listened to our podcast much or who haven't come back to know what the lectionary is, basically it's a list of four readings from the Bible for every single Sunday in the year. Mm -hmm. And there's a three-year cycle that we do. And so if you're a lectionary preacher, your readings are chosen for you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be the one who comes up with the ideas, which is really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to use a lectionary. The ELCA, in general, most pastors use the Revised Common Lectionary. Do they strongly encourage it, or is it just, hey, here you go? It's kind of a, hey, here you go, and it's kind of, I mean, it's strongly encouraged in the way that all of our official publications are based around it. Okay. So we have a, a an index book for our hymnal. And it's based on the lectionary. Okay. And so for every single Sunday, there will be what the readings are, what the prayer of the day is, and then like suggested hymns for the different parts of the service from our hymnal. Okay. And so a lot of the resources that our denomination puts out and that are available through our denomination to help people plan their weekly worship are all based on the revised common lectionary. And so that lends itself to making it just a lot easier. Like the path of least resistance is stick with the lectionary in the LCA. And you're going to have a ton of resources to support you in doing that. Okay. So that's four readings that you have to choose from. You don't necessarily have to just talk about the gospel either, correct? Correct. So for outside of the Easter season, there's always an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a letter or epistle reading, And then a gospel. Okay. And those are the four readings. And in the Easter season, instead of hearing from the Old Testament, instead of hearing from the Hebrew scripture, we hear from the book of Acts, which is the story of how the early church kind of came to be. Okay. And so that replaces the Old Testament reading during Easter season, which is why it's been all New Testament all the time since Easter. I'm going to own up to the fact that I didn't really notice. Right? Most people wouldn't notice. Okay. And you don't have to read all of them in worship. Some congregations don't read all of them in worship. I will be honest and say this week I pulled one. Oh. And we're only going to be reading three of them. We're not going to be reading the second lesson from First Peter. And I don't do that very often here because this congregation likes to have all four readings. Yeah. I probably would have, have you not said anything, would have noticed that because it's first reading and second reading, I think think about every place I've ever worshiped at. Yep. And at my first call, sometimes we only did the gospel. Oh, really? We only read the passage that we were going to be preaching on. So you're able to take it out. Now, 
in many congregations, the people really like having all of the readings. And so they expect them to be all there all the time. Mm -hmm. This congregation is one of those. So making the choice to pull a reading in this congregation is really a choice. It's not just like, well, I could use that extra three minutes so that I could do this activity over here instead, or mm -hmm. I could use the extra time for this. And really these lessons, I'm not touching on them in the sermon. So I'm going to go ahead and pull them and just keep us focused on the one. Most people really, really care if there are missing readings here. So it's an intentional choice. And this week I'm pulling it because I'm not going to be preaching on it. There's not enough time in the sermon time to be able to preach on it okay. and to be able to explain what's going on and to talk about it. And the lesson is really hard to understand when it's just on its own and you're just looking at it and you don't look at context and you don't understand what's going on in the larger letter or in the larger cultural context. So to just have something tossed out there that can become potentially very unhelpful mm -hmm. for a Christian faith without any context, I think that is more dangerous than taking it out and having people angry at me that I took a lesson out and messed up the rhythm. Okay. So for this week, I'm going to mess up the rhythm. Now we have a baptism that's going to happen. So that's going to add time to the service. So sure. the service won't feel like it's missing anything. Mm -hmm. There's enough to make it feel like a full service, even if I remove typical pieces out of it. But there will be people who notice... And we'll ask, well, why was the second reading pulled? So I can imagine, though, given that when the Bible was written, that can't be the only lesson that you would pull for that particular reason. Does that show up a lot? And does that push or pull what you decide to write your sermon on? It doesn't show up a ton. It shows up enough to keep me as a preacher on my toes. Okay. And to challenge me. Like one of the things that I love about the lectionary is that it forces me, and I probably said this in the other podcast on the lectionary, it forces me to preach on things I don't like. Okay. And it forces me to step towards things I would never want to preach on. So as a divorced pastor, I don't necessarily want to preach on Jesus talking about divorce. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. If I were the person choosing the scripture passages that I preached on, I probably would never choose that. But the benefit of the lectionary is that it makes me confront that and it makes me speak to that. And there is a lot of power and a lot of God to be found in confronting the parts of scripture that make us very uncomfortable and that aren't cozy and easy to talk about. And so I really appreciate that the lectionary challenges me in that way. In three years, these texts will come up again. Sure. And it might be the right time to preach on First Peter in three years. But this year... Given the context of what's happening in our congregation right now, given where I am at, given where it falls in the regular year, a memorial weekend, those kinds of pieces, it's just not the right time to dig into the first Peter reading. All right. And so I'm going to be focusing on the Gospel of John and sticking with that. And so that's kind of one of those questions of, well, where do you start mm -hmm. with a sermon? How do you figure out what you're talking about? I go and look at my readings, and that's fairly early on in the week. Usually, my week starts on Tuesday midday. So I have Sunday mid-afternoon through Monday off, and then Tuesday morning I get up, I check through my emails real quick, and then I head to text study. 
And Tech Study is a group of pastors who meet, and there are lots of them that happen all over the place. I meet with a group at St. Paul Lutheran, mm-hmm. and we sit around the table, and we check in with each other, and we see how we're doing and what prayer requests are going on and how we are as people. And then we open up the scriptures for the week. We take turns leading the group as to who is presenting. We look at the commentaries. We read through the lessons. We read through the prayer of the day. We share sermons that we've written before, maybe out of our files, or talk about things that we've preached about before, themes that have come up repetitively on things, and share that knowledge with each other around the table. And usually we spend a good two and a half to three hours on Tuesdays doing that. Is that typically where you decide, okay, now I know what I'm going to use if I'm going to use a text or you're still just gathering at that point? Most of the time I, by the end of that study have honed in on, I know which of the texts I'm going to end up with. Okay. So even immediately after reading the text this week, I'm like, oh, I'm pulling that first Peter because I had looked ahead and I knew that this Gospel of John reading was coming up, and I knew I was going to preach on this John reading this week. And so when I read the first Peter, I'm like, oh, that's that's troublesome. Mm-hmm. That's really rough. And so I went ahead and messaged my admin from text study saying, we're going to pull the first Peter reading from the bulletin this week okay, and let her know. And then we talk about, you know, what translation would we want to use? Because the Gospel this week is really awkward. And really hard to understand in the New Revised Standard Version. We typically always use the NRSV, but this week is really hard to understand. And so in our text study, we shared the message translation. Hmm. So just in the same way that I'll encourage people, check out different translations if you're having a hard time understanding a passage, we do the same thing. Okay. So as a pastor, I'll go look at three or four different translations to try to figure out what the heck this thing is trying to say to me. This week, I'm on the fence on whether or not I will read from the NRSV or whether I will read from the message. And we're printing the NRSV for folks, but I might read the message translation. Have you ever gotten to this point and then you're like, mm, none of these, don't like any of them? Do you ever go off at that point? Once. Once? Once. Oh in my. 12 years. The one time that I went off lectionary was the Sunday after this last election. Oh, sure. That was the only time that I've ever gone off lectionary. And the reason for that was that it was November, so we were right before Advent, and the texts in that time are all very apocalyptic. Sure. They're all about the end of the world. We really didn't need that coming right after the election. (laughs) Our congregation really didn't. I mean, there were enough people within our congregation who were really frightened mm-hmm. by the results of this election that, that that would not have been a pastoral response to my people. And where in some congregations it wouldn't have mattered, mm-hmm. you know, some congregations in the ELCA would not be there. But in this progressive congregation in Portland, Oregon, that was not going to be a helpful message. And so I did. I went completely off lectionary that week and pulled work that I had been doing for the story lectionary book, because the book and the work that I've been doing with my doctoral cohort is to come up with an alternative lectionary, Mm -hmm. a one-year lectionary. And I had been working on a sermon for the Gospel of John chapter one, and that sermon of hope felt right to Mm -hmm. preach for that week. And so I jumped off 
off of the revised common lectionary for that week. But that's it. I had one time written a sermon by Wednesday night. I was so proud of myself. I was like, look, I'm being like a professional pastor. I wrote my sermon by Wednesday night. Yeah, Don't this tell is me great. something happened in the news. Hurricane like, Katrina. Oh, no. That was actually going to be my next question. Do you ever look at what news is going on and you're like, mm, I got to speak to something in there? Absolutely. And I think that that sermon taught me so much because I had everything pre-written. I had everything done. And it was early in my ministry. And then Hurricane Katrina happened. And how do you, you can't preach. You know, that's a before and after event in our country. Mm -hmm. I could not preach what I wrote on Wednesday come Sunday when New Orleans was still underwater. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just couldn't. And so I scrapped it. I scrapped it on Saturday night. I think I actually just leaned into the psalm probably that week. And we did prayers of the people, which had not been a typical pattern of that congregation. And so that was where I went. I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I absolutely try to incorporate when there are big events going on in our world and obvious things, I do try to incorporate it. If nothing else, it will be a subtext. It will be a subthread that if someone has been paying attention to the news and that's heavy on their hearts, they might hear it alluded to, even if it's not named specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember 2016 was a rough year for that. And I do remember more timely things would come up in the sermon, rightly so, because people needed a little help dealing with many of the stuff that just relentlessly kept popping up. Yeah. And I think we even did the podcast on Mm -hmm. how to handle things in hard times Mm -hmm. because it was a rough year. It was a very rough year. So you have your reading or you have your topic. Where do you go from there? So that has changed in the last two years for me. Before I started doing this doctorate work with Leonard Sweet, I would listen for the story, maybe do the research stuff that we talked about last week in Uh our last podcast. I'd go to textweek.com. I'd read Working Preacher. I'd really look at that exegetical stuff. Exegetical being the fancy schmancy word for taking everything apart with a fine tooth comb. Okay. And trying to figure out what it all was supposed to mean. Since beginning this doctorate in preaching as storytelling, which is what my doctorate of ministry is focused in, Mm -hmm. I start at a very different point. So I figure out which scripture I'm going for and kind of take that exegetical work, background stuff that I pick up from text study and listen to it. And then I think of it like making a stew. Okay. Right. So stews take a long time before they're really good, like making a good chili. Uh It's something that's going to be better if you let it simmer for a long time Okay, and let the flavors really blend. So I start out with maybe my aromatics, right? My garlic and my onion and all that stuff is the exegetical work at the beginning of the week. And I saute those and get those heated up and get those going. And then I've picked up what scripture I'm going to do. So maybe that's tossing in the broth or the tomato sauce or whatever is going to be the big thing in which everything is swimming. Okay. Right. And so that gets going and picking up the flavors. And now instead of trying to find an academic way to teach it or those kinds of things, now I'm looking for what is my primary metaphor? And this is the difference in the new style of preaching that Len is teaching. And instead of trying to figure out how to teach the Greek better... It's what object, what thing, what metaphor can I pick in order to have something to hold on to 
to tell this story in a new way. This is sounding harder and harder the more you talk about it, because I thought it was going to be like you sit down and you write a five-page paper every week, which initially sounded bad all in and of itself. But now to throw in this much of a creative, thought-provoking, that sounds really hard. (laughs) It is. And through the week, other ingredients get tossed in, right? So you have your media news that's going on, like current events get tossed into the pot because that's going to flavor what's coming out for the week, right? So you have your current events that get thrown in there and then you have like what's happening in your parish. So this week, if I were to completely ignore the fact that our music director of 10 years just left, I would be missing an entire giant ingredient. Yes, you would. Right? Like this is the first week without her here. And so if I didn't address that, it would be like putting a giant plate of roast beef on the table and then giving everybody ham sandwiches, right? Like I would Mm -hmm. be completely ignoring a main course of what they need to be fed. And so that gets thrown into the pot, the current context of what's happening. And then, and then the little pieces that get thrown in there are like the individual stories. So if I do pastoral care, emergency pastoral care for someone during the week, and I know they're going to be there on Sunday, that gets tossed into the pot because I know that person's going to be there and I want to be aware of that. And how am I going to be speaking towards them in this time in their life? And if I know, you know, someone's coming that hasn't been in a long time. So this week, what else has gone into the pot is the baptism. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have guests. The grandfather is a Lutheran pastor, retired Lutheran pastor. So we're going to have a guest person splashing in the water with us to baptize this little girl. And it's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. But that's thrown into the pot because that's a part now of the recipe of the day. And what else is happening? We're blessing one of our students who hasn't really attended here, but her parents have attended here for a very long time. And she got a full-ride scholarship to university to play basketball. Fantastic. And we're proud of her and her achievement, even though we haven't had the chance to love on her in person a lot. Mm -hmm. So we're going to give her her quilt, and we're going to bless her and send her off to this amazing adventure to this university this week. And so that gets thrown into the pot, right? So it all goes in, and then... And then you got to try to make actual food out of it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And it sounds like you really can't do a lot. You can't do it all ahead of time, and you certainly can't wait to the very bitter end. And that's going to be a personal thing depending on the pastor's personality type, right? Sure. I think that some pastors, some people, they need to have things planned in advance. You're talking to someone who is very much last minute kind of a person. <laughs> I'm, I know. need to have as much done as possible ahead of time. Otherwise I have nightmares about finding that <laughs> second earring before I can walk out the door. Right. And I never make a list unless I'm so stressed that I can't handle my life. Oh man. Right. I can't even imagine. <laughs> so different personalities are going to do it different ways. Sure. So list makers and people who plan things ahead and like their spaces to be clean and orderly probably will have a lot of this stuff stuff done ahead of time and might have be finished by Friday or might be finished even earlier in the week or have a rough draft on Tuesday and then be tinkering with it and doing things with it. I am one of those people that, that does things under crunch really well. Mm -hmm. You know, some people say, well, you're a procrastinator and this is the negative thing, but there's really benefit sides to procrastinating. Not necessarily that you're putting something off, but just that I can let it simmer Mm -hmm. a lot longer 
and I'm not going to be terrified by that. So it can be 10 o'clock on Saturday night and I still don't know exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and that would, oh, I know I would do it because as much as I love to have things down and in order and this is what I'm doing this day, this is what I'm doing the next day, I'm also realistic enough to know that I do procrastinate quite a bit. And that, however, I would go insane. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just different ways of doing things. Sure. The spirit comes in different ways. And for me, the spirit does really fine things when I let it perk as long as possible. And then take the ideas, coalesce them into my main points, figure out my landing strip, as I'm calling it now. And then lean back and trust the spirit to pull me through. So what do you end up writing down? You don't have a list. You don't have an outline. You I used to have a what? manuscript. Before this program, before this doctorate work, I had a manuscript. Okay. And you can see that on my blog, wordbalancing.org. That has years and years and years of sermons of mine on that particular website. And... I was a manuscript preacher from maybe my third week of internship up until two years ago, up until not this last Easter, but Easter before. So it's been just a, a year and a season. Since Is that how they taught it? Because I'm imagining you have to have something in seminary about writing sermons. Absolutely. It's called homiletics. Mm. It's got a fancy word. <laughs> fancy, fancy word. So my homiletics prof actually didn't teach us by a manuscript. He wanted us just to have notes on maybe three by five cards. And I didn't even use that. I was completely off manuscript and off notes when I was in my homiletics class. But then when I went to internship, the concern was that you don't necessarily know exactly how long you're going to go. And <laughs> unless you write it down Unless somehow. you write it down. And, True enough. And you can wander off topic if you don't write it down. It's really easy to get distracted. It's really easy to get flustered. It's really easy to get lost in a sermon. Oh, I can imagine. And particularly in the historical style of preaching, which is three points and a conclusion, right? Where mm -hmm. you have your intro and then you have your three little points about what's happening and then you have your conclusion. And if you get caught on a point and you run with it, then you've got to come back and then you don't know how to end it without hitting your second point and... Next thing you know, you've got a 30 minute sermon and everybody's asleep. So <laughs> lots of glazed over eyes. <laughs> so my homiletics prof said, forget three points, just have a point. Sure. Just pick one. And he would make us write down our entire sermon in one sentence. And then he would tell us to ask the, so what question. So if the sermon point that I'm working with right now is kind of like even God doesn't pray pretty, then you could say, well, so what? Okay. And that's not a solid enough landing strip for a sermon. Then. Okay. I need to go deeper. Then what is it about even God not having pretty perfect prayers that really matters to people? Like, what am I really trying to say to people? What's the so what of the sermon? And that's my landing strip. Now, as I'm trying to think of it, Instead of pre-writing it, I end up doing storyboards. Okay. And I got myself a moleskin notebook that actually has like storyboard things to it so that I can sketch it out. Sure. And then I sketch out my sermons, my big points. So it makes me have my central metaphor. 
because that way it's something that I can see. It's something I can draw. It's an object. Mm -hmm. And then I have my clear movements from place to place and I have a clear image of what that movement is because I can draw it. And I'm not even that good of a drawer, (laughs) but I can draw it out. And that way it's obvious that this is where I'm going next. I know what I'm trying to land. My so what statement. It's terrifying. This new style of preaching, it works. Like people are really going with it and I get a lot of really positive feedback, but it is terrifying in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. sounds like a whole lot of work. Yeah. And next week, so this will be published on Saturday, the following Saturday, I'll be up in Seattle participating in a preaching conference with my doctoral cohort. And what we're doing is we will be each presenting over the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we will each be presenting four sermons, a three minute, an eight minute, a 12 minute, and a 15 minute. And in this new style of preaching, Mm -hmm. in this central metaphor storytelling kind of a style of preaching. It'll be available to live stream and it'll be available to watch online afterwards, kind of like a TED style stuff. Okay. So people can watch and see what this new kind of format of preaching can look like from those of us who've been working on it really hard for the last two years. Now, given all of this, given how much work this sounds like, if you know it's a low attendance Sunday, are you going to pull out some old sermon and just go for it? Or do you actually put that much work in every single week? (laughs) Come on, be honest. The times that I have recycled sermons, because I have, Uh I absolutely have. Well, I think it's just life, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I have recycled sermons, I've never recycled from the same congregation. Okay. Like I don't preach the same sermon twice in the same congregation. I haven't yet. I could in the future, but I haven't done that yet. Typically... It's when I personally am exhausted. Oh, sure. So in this parish, I've recycled a sermon post-concussion. I get it. It because, makes sense. And, and looking back on it, now I understand why I did that. <laughs> right? I think there might have been two or three weeks right after the concussion that they were all recycled sermons. But I was still manuscript preaching. No one would have known. Mm-hmm. Right? I've recycled when there's a week when I have a sermon I really, really like. Yeah, oh, sure. Well, and it's, and it's good and it's solid. And there's no reason to not share that solid spirit word with another group of people. So I have a few sermons that I've written that I think are really good. I don't have a lot of them that I think are really good, <laughs> but I have a few of them. And so I have pulled those out when I've been in a new context and that's if, perfectly valid right? in my opinion. And then weeks when I personally have something going on in my life where I am feeling vulnerable and lost and not okay, then three quarters of the time, the preachers preach into the preacher. Okay. Right? So whatever the main point is, usually the preacher needs to hear it as much, if not more than the others. And if I am feeling particularly vulnerable and not okay, if there's been a big event in my personal life, then I know that my vulnerability will not necessarily serve my people well because it's not the congregation's job to take care of me. Mm -hmm. It's my job to take care of the congregation and it's my community's job to take care of me, right? It's my friend's jobs to take care of me, not my congregation. So if I were to have a major life event that's going on and I'm not okay and I'm not centered and I'm not doing well, 
then I will recycle a sermon or I will get someone else into my pulpit because it's not appropriate for me to get up there and throw my life garbage onto my people. Fair enough. Okay, last question then. Is there anything you would never, ever preach about? If I say that, the Spirit's going to make me like totally preach on it someday (laughs) (laughs) because the Spirit is rude. I would say I will never... And, and that's okay, we'll fair. take what is something that you shy away from very hard. My own personal pain stories. That makes sense. Preaching those in my own church context, in my own congregation, I shy away from that. And that's learned from experience that it doesn't necessarily behoove people. That being said, one of the sermons that I'm preaching next weekend but I'm not preaching it to a congregation, right? I'm preaching okay. it to a conference and that kind of a thing. It'll be online. It'll be available. People can watch it. But I'm not preaching it to my congregation on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Is very personal and absolutely is one of my heart pains that I'll be preaching about. So it's not that I'm not willing to be vulnerable. It's just within a context on a Sunday morning preaching to my people, my vulnerability, my personal vulnerability does not necessarily serve the congregation. Mm-hmm. And so in a different context, maybe, but on a Sunday morning, nah. In the same way that you're not going to hear me being the hero of a sermon either. <laughs> right. Like, sure. Like that's one of the things that they talk about is as the preacher, if you preach about yourself, which is kind of a no-no, like you shouldn't do. Uh-huh. But if you preach about yourself, never make yourself the hero of the story. Always make yourself the dork and the idiot of the story. And so... I will shy strongly away from making myself the hero of the story and preaching my own personal heart pains. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about writing sermons. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I, and thank you for listening along. If you have more questions about how sermons get written or how I come up with what I'm going to say or that kind of stuff, I am happy to take your questions. Just send us an email to podcast at centralportland.org. Who knows, maybe your question will inspire another podcast topic. In the meantime, find us on Facebook. Thank you for listening in. And until we're in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.